I do remember when I was 18, I met this guy in New York. He had a very successful like marketing business and he was very into sales and self-development and he gave me all these books and he basically was like, he kind of just showed me and taught me that like you didn't have to be mediocre and it was like about the way you think and you could really ask for whatever you want and you can get it if you believed it. Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the Titans of Real Estate, the show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. You've heard it before, stories of how people create their own opportunities in life to find success. Carl Gambino is one such story, moving up the ranks in LA real estate at an astonishing pace while representing some of the biggest names in Hollywood. It's a great story, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Today's guest is a top performing agent at Westside Estate Agency in Beverly Hills, and at the young age of 34, has already become one of LA's top agents, having represented A-list clientele such as Alex Rodriguez, Jennifer Lopez, Harry Styles, Travis Scott, Nick Jonas, and Sophie Turner, just to name a few. Please welcome to the show, Carl Gambino. Hi, how are you? Good. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So we're, we're broadcasting on Cannon Drive in Beverly Hills. Nice balmy 80 degree day. So let's, well, let's have some fun with this thing. <laughs> So let's start from the beginning, Carl. You grew up in New Jersey. What was that like? Boring. (laughs) (laughs) Not exciting. I was born in New York. I grew up in New Jersey. It was kind of like very suburban, small town. Everyone knew everyone. My family all lived in Soho, my grandmothers, all my cousins. So I kind of always had this like chip on my shoulder that I should have been living in New York. And the second I was old enough, like 18, I moved back to New York. You're trying to get the Jersey stain off of you, yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to That's say, true. though, if you research, like, especially in entertainment, there's, like, randomly a ton of people from New Jersey. Right. Bon Jovi. It's like Bon Jovi, Bradley Cooper. There's so many. So Jersey's more working class, right? Blue collar? Yeah. Like, you know? when I was younger, like, we didn't even know a millionaire. Wow. So what did your parents do for work? My dad was a banker and he started as a teller in the Empire State Building when he was 19. So we he just worked his way up. He's an extremely hard worker. He's been in banking over 30 years. We always had everything we needed. We didn't come from money at all though. My mother was a teacher. Okay. And do you do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a younger brother. He's actually developmentally delayed, so he's special ed. My mom stopped working and just stayed home with us when we were growing up. So the two of you, and and are your parents still around? Yeah, and they're married still. And they live in New York? They live in New Jersey. Oh, Jersey, okay. My grandmothers and cousins and stuff live in New York. Gotcha, okay, cool. So do you have a formative story about your childhood that, was there anything, or even in your, just in your life, that, that you remember that gave you pause or insight into sort of who you are and what you do today? Is there anything that you can remember? Not so much in my childhood. 
childhood. I do remember when I was 18, I met this guy in New York. He had a very successful like marketing business and he was very into sales and self-development and he gave me all these books and he basically was like, he kind of just showed me and taught me that like you didn't have to be mediocre and it was like about the way you think and you could really ask for whatever you want and you can get it if you believed it. And that was kind of, I remember thinking like, wow, like I come from this kind of limiting old school Guido background. And this was like the first time where I was like, wow, like you don't have to just get a job doing anything and like work nine to five for the rest of your life. Did he give you the Napoleon Hill book? Yeah, I've read every single one of them. Yeah. He also gave me like cassette tapes of How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. Like it was before they were even on CD. And I've read Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, like a million times. I love that book. Yeah. It's a classic for sure. So so did you have any like early aspirations as a kid? Like, hey, I wanna when I grow up I wanna be this, I wanna do this, or was it did you have any sort of those kind of thoughts or are you just kind of making your way? I mean, I was definitely, I loved music. I thought a lot about being in the music business or and playing in bands and stuff like that. I do remember like as a child having like really, really strong ambition always and wanting to be at like an ultra high level, but like kind of like pushing it back down because of what I just said about how I was brought up. And that like when I met that guy, it was the first time where I would like actually it was weird. It was like almost like I was ashamed of it because it was like not where I came from. Mm-hmm. Are you a Capricorn, by the way? No, Leo. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about how you got into real estate. And I heard that you you had a funny Wolf on Wall Street type moment when you first got into real estate. Tell us about that. So after I met that guy, he was like, you should do sales because it doesn't limit like what you can make. And I had all these friends and cousins that were like, no, you need to go to college and get a job and I kind of was like I hated school and I was completely down with the fact where I like wouldn't limit my income and I was selling accounting services in the Empire State Building and I hated it and I I actually smoked cigarettes at the time and I would like go outside for a smoke break and all these tourists would be like do you know where the Empire State Building is and I'd be like you're fucking leaning on it (laughs) and look up yeah and I met this guy at an event and he was like this like flashy, like sharky salesman, like it was almost like an SNL skit. And he was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm selling accounting services. And he's like, I do real estate. I sell multifamily buildings. We make millions of dollars. And he's like, come to my office on Monday. And I was like, you know what? Like, what do I have to lose? This guy's absurd, but I went there. He even had like the license plate that said closer, like on his Mercedes and they really did have this like chop shop multifamily brokerage that made millions of dollars and I started there and basically they gave you a book and a phone and they're like call every landlord in Manhattan you didn't even have a computer and you had these like big landlord books that you just like flipped through and called all day long and they would track your calls so you had to make like 500 phone calls a day and I mean that just made me like kind of immune to rejection after a certain point. I had a similar experience I want to share with you because I sold insurance right out of college. Same thing. I had one, I could afford one bad suit. So I had one suit and I had a little office, you know, they gave me a pencil and a, and a phone book and a phone. And they said, go, you know, start calling people. It was humbling, but it was exciting at the same time because it's like, 
you have to build something out of nothing. Yeah, that's exactly what like this Like nothing. So the rejection is kind of like, you know, bring it on. I'm just going to keep getting rejected and keep until, wow, I got something. I got, you know, somebody wants to talk to me. Cool. But those gave me layers and layers of confidence and, and learn, learning how to communicate. Yeah, you know? it was. that's exactly what it was like for me. I had like these huge oversized suit, actually. <laughs> I also in the summers did residential leasing in New York, which is another like super shady business where you post these ads online and you get like a million phone calls and we would post like rent controlled two bedroom in the West Village. And then you'd be like, oh, that rented, but I have this, this and this. And you'd be like, the best thing to do is come in the office. We'll go through all the things, like all the new listings. We'll take you out. And you have to get them to come to the office hating you for kind of being phony. They have to pay this astronomical fee. The tenant pays 15% of the annual rent in New York to liking you to doing a deal that day and walking him to the bank. So between that and the multifamily phone sales, it was like the greatest sales training I could have ever experienced. So what year was that? I'm 34 now. I was 22. 22. So that's when you basically officially started. Yes. 22 years old. And what was your first sale? Was it a was it a was it more of a lease or? Well, I did a, a ton of leases. So I guess the first thing I did was residential leases. But my first actual sale was I sold a five a seven unit building in Park Slope in Brooklyn. What was and the price? It was like a million five fifty, which at the time to me was like a billion dollars. Right. And it was like what's it worth now? You think? Four. He's actually. I saw the guy not that long ago, and he's getting offers at four. Nice. That's real estate for you, right? Yeah. Okay, so how long were you in New York doing that? How long was that gig? Probably from 22 to 26. Okay, so you spent about four years, and was it still just buildings, more commercial stuff? It was like a combination of both. Then the market crashed, and I basically had all these friends that were, this is random, but I had all these friends that were selling electric and natural gas and oil. To, and I would refer them to properties and the, I ended up making more money from that than the actual real estate. So I had this like brilliant idea, I thought, to start a commodities brokerage and I made deals with all like Suez and all these major energy companies. And I called them and was like, let us sell them for you, like electric, natural gas, oil at fixed contracts. And we would sell it to like supermarkets, restaurants, office buildings through all the contacts I had made in real estate. And I did that for about a year. It was actually really successful. I convinced these like old school Italian dudes that were in real estate to open an office with me in Chelsea. And then I was kind of miserable. I just like wasn't as passionate about it that I was at real estate. That was the one thing about real estate. I guess I do remember my older friend growing up in high school would drive me around and I would make him like show me the bigger houses in New Jersey. And he used to say to me like, you should get in real estate when you were, when you're older. And I always had some sort of passion for it. And this like energy thing I didn't care about and I was kind of miserable. And I went to them and was like, look, I'll give you all my shares of the company, I'll gift it to you and just give me the commission I'm owed, which was like 30 to 50,000, I don't remember. My now wife and I were together for four years in New York. We broke up, she moved to LA. She says I followed her here, but I was actually gonna move anyway. And I like just left and gifted my shares to the company and came to LA. So are you guys, and so she's your wife? So you got yeah, back together. we got back together. So tell us that story while we're on it. That's interesting. So we broke up for a year. I, I really didn't think we would ever speak again. And 
she called me and was like, I have a flat tire. And I'm basically like, what the fuck are you calling me for? And she's like, I don't know who to call. And I was, she, I was like, you know, what's random is I'm actually moving to LA, which she was in shock. Cause like I said, I come from an old school Italian family. Like you never leave your family. I didn't know anyone in the West coast. And she was like, you can come stay with me and see where you want to live. And I stayed with her. She wrote me the super long letter, how we were just friends and I was sleeping on the couch. I ripped it up after like one page and then we got back together and have been together ever since. And we have a baby now. That's a cool story. Cool story. So, okay. So you get into LA. So what's your first gig? Like, how do you... So I got a job just doing anything. I was working for this developer at... He was building this celebrity's house. I knew nothing about construction. He just generally... Someone referred me to him. It was $12 an hour. I could like barely pay my bills. And I called him and he's like, your name's Carl Gambino. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, at least the cement will be delivered on time. He's like, you're hired. (laughs) And I didn't know anything, like I said, about construction. And that guy used to be one of the biggest developers in Beverly Hills. He did the Buster Keaton estate and all these houses. And he kept telling me, he's like, you should get your real estate license in LA if you've done well in New York, you could do really well in LA. And he's like, I'll introduce you to this guy, Kurt Rappaport. And I actually, at the time, had no idea who that was. And I didn't know anything about LA real estate. And he kind of pushed me to get my license, which I did. And it's kind of... So how did you meet Kurt? So tell us about that first meeting. So did you... So he introduced me to him. I, I forgot over text or something. And basically, I called Kurt and he's like, yeah, come to my office. We'll set up a meeting about you potentially working here. And then he then became like very difficult to get in touch with. And like I said, I come from that background of like harassing people to meet. <laughs> and I just kept following up with him over and over and over. And a Friday night at like 9 p.m., he called me and was like, come to my office now in Beverly Hills. And I said to my wife, I'm like, it's like 9 p.m. And she's like, go. So like, I went to the office. I, I like wore a suit. I brought a resume and we, he kind of like just looked at me and we talked for like 10 minutes. He like threw the resume in the garbage and was like, look, you'd be great. Start here on Monday. And then I came in on Monday and the other owner, Stephen Shapiro, was like, who the fuck are you? And kind of the rest is history from there. And I was introduced to other agencies as well. But I, at that point, did a bunch of research about them. And Kurt is probably the most successful agent in history. And I wanted to work with them and see them do like $100 million deals, get both sides on a daily basis. So I was desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your first sale. So you, you get, so you start working and how long did it take you to get your first sale? And what was that? So in LA, so uh, there was, I was also doing like creative things in between. I was even like walking dogs to pay my bills and I was writing. And then I met this agent and I kept asking, like harassing him to rep me as a writer. And he's like, I'm never going to rep you. I rep Woody Allen, but he's like, I am what I'm looking for a house. So I started showing him like, as my license was in the mail, like coming to me and I ended up selling him a house. I met some other kid in like a writing slash acting class. I ran out of money from the first deal with the agent. It was like a million one. I didn't pay taxes and then I ended up having to pay later on. I then met this kid. I made like 13 grand, sold him another house. I ran out of money. Then one of the guys who I walked the dog for is this big developer in LA, like commercial developer. And I was like, let me show you houses. And he's like, you're my dog walker. Like, no. And I'm like, 
I've done this before. I, I had worked at Marcus and Millichap for a while too in Manhattan. I switched there eventually. And I was like, I've worked there. And I'm like, you know everyone, you know everything. If you if we find something, it's not like you're not capable of navigating through the deal. I was like, just let me show you. And he's like, fine, I'm working with the biggest agents in LA. I ended up finding him something for five five. He went in escrow and then he canceled. I was like devastated. And then found him something immediately in Bel Air for six two fifty. And I my, like my rent, everything was behind all my bills, and we ended up closing. And I think I made like a hundred and nine thousand. And then I, I'm like a very obsessive person. And then from there, I was like, oh my god! And I worked seven days a week from that moment on. You're, you just go, wow! This is it. This is like you get a hundred thousand dollar check, and you're like, okay, I get it. This is I want more of this. Yeah, I was like, like I want a million dollar check. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm just gonna want ten of these, and let's 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 go. It's on. So when did you? Okay, tell us. It, that's wild. So six million. So when did you? When was your first ten million dollar sale? I think maybe the following year after that, I sold something for like thirteen two fifty, and then again it was like wow, like now this is the same job as a million dollar sale, and that's the thing that like about this business, like obviously the clientele is very different, and at certain times at a higher level they're more sophisticated, or certain times they're not. But the one thing I really notice is it's like mainly about belief in your ability and networking and believing you can do it because it's like if you sell a 50 million dollar house or a 1 million dollar house like the actual steps to take action through it are the same i mean the money's more valuable to someone selling a million dollar house so in a sense it could even be easier at points to do a larger sale because they know what they want and the money's not as valuable to them so let's talk about your personal growth trajectory because you've been it's amazing and like this year 2019 you're going to sell well over 100 million. What, what was last year? I think I did around 75 million. I also do it in New York still. So what I did was I switched my license to this guy named Adam Maudlin in New York. He's an agent that Kurt works with a lot. He's one of the most successful agents in New York. So what was ha- what started happening is like by me doing LA high-end residential, I was getting more and more business in New York. So if it's buyers, I'll fly back with them. I'm actually selling an apartment on Mott right now. If it's listings, I co-list it with Adam. So between New York and LA last year, I would say it was around 75 million. And then this year it's gonna be well over 100 million. So it's amazing in a very short amount of time. And how how did you get hooked up with so many celebrity clientele? Cause you've got like this Rolodex of all these who's who, the people that you're representing, how did you break into that that very, very elite group? I think it's just like anything else. It's like about networking and who you meet and going out in LA. And then I kind of was fortunate that two of my best friends were singers and they helped me in the beginning by giving me like my, one of some of my first listings in LA. And it kind of, from there you meet their business managers. And if they understand like your capability and that you're great with discretion, they'll refer you other clients. And then you're talking about the Jonas brothers. I mean, one of them. Yeah. One of them. So how did you meet them? They've just been my friends forever. And one of them, Joe, was actually like great and gave me my first listing in LA. And he's my son's godfather. And it was like, that was very fortunate. And then I had another like indie singer that was a friend of mine that I started selling a bunch of property to. And then, like I said, it just parlayed from there. And did you meet Joe in LA? Yes. So you met all these people in LA? Yeah, one of them I knew years ago in New York, like another singer. But basically, okay. everyone, when I came to LA, I didn't know anyone in LA. That's great. So. What a networking story too. I mean, the way, the fact that you. Well, the other thing is like, 
celebrities have access to the best of everything. So if you like work with them, it really puts you in this like humble, great light that like people start to want to work with you in a sense of they're like, oh, if they're using them, then they must be very good at their job because they can use anyone and they have access to the best of everything. So that was something I kind of noticed too. All right, so let's talk about the hyper-competitive world of LA real estate. You know, we're talking about all these celebrities and you know all these A-list clients. This is arguably the most, you know, or one of the priciest markets anywhere in the world. What's different about working with celebrity clients? I'm sure discretion and privacy is huge. Uh, is what other what are the other things working with, you know, this this type of uh, client? I just think like discretion and privacy is a major aspect of it, like you said, and I think also just being available, like always being available. Like I answer my I answer my phone at all times, and unfortunately, like my wife will get furious, but that's like part of the job, and just like I said, just always being available. So, well, first that question I have for you is like, if you know that one of these big. 20 30 million dollar plus estates is is about to go on sale i mean did you did these clientele these a-list celebrities are they interviewing a bunch of agents or are they going to sort of whoever's in their very close network or their business manager i think it's it's probably a mix i think a lot of the ones i work with are already relationships that i have that they're you want to be like their go-to person for real estate and I think there's other times where we definitely, I know there's times where we go against other agents and then the business managers are the one who pick because the people are very far removed from it. It just varies per situation. I think just to tell you like what you do if if you're selling a celebrity house, it's like you would usually meet or talk with their team about marketing and press and everything they want to do. If they want it extremely discreet, if they want it off market, some people want it out there because it could help the house sell it it just really depends on the actual client and i think it's also you have to be hyper careful because there's crazy fans that show up to open houses and you have to remove all their personal items and you have to really like understand who's coming in the homes yeah and there's so many fun stories which i want to get to later because like we interviewed mauricio from the agency and he, he was telling us about you know showing prince homes and how he would like sit in the car in the driveway to get a vibe of the house. And if he didn't have the vibe, he wouldn't go in. It'd be like, this house is not for me without even seeing it. You just have to get get in his mental place and be like, feel it, you know? So like, it, it was an interesting story. You have any stories like that with, not with so buyers much, or seller? Not so much like a vibe feel. I've just had crazy things happen with like paparazzi and clients running out with like jackets on their head or like pulling up to a house I sold and like there's someone with their bags packed being like hey I'm moving in this house with them and just like wild things like that people like jumping fences and stalkers and like the whole privacy aspect of it is it's really true and it could be really dangerous for them if like they're exposed yeah and people don't understand that like people sell them out and just want press for themselves to advance and it's like a really dangerous thing. Well, it must them. make it harder to sell the property too, because if 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 it's all about privacy and discretion, and you don't really push it on the open market, you know, with obviously our brokers are public open and doing a bunch of press. I mean, I'm sure they don't want people parading through their house, obviously for a free tour of you know Madonna's house. It's an open house on Saturday from two to four. 
doesn't work like that. Yeah, I mean, we do a private broker's open where it's other top agents or like highly qualified clients. And, you know, one time I have a story, actually, I was doing a private broker's open on the celebrity's house and there was this girl walking around like a younger girl. And I was like, I'm sorry, are you with an agent or how can I help you? And she's like, oh, my agent sent me. He's so and so who I did know. So I kind of just walked the house with her and she was like, hey, my mom wants to come back at 3 p.m. And the broker's open was from 11 to 2. And I was like, actually, you can't like the client's coming back at 2. So please have her come like within those hours. And then she called her mom and I could hear the mom like screaming on the phone. And she just kept asking. She's like, is there any way? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like she has to come back at that time. And then like maybe an hour later, the door flies open and it's Sharon Osbourne. And she's like, where's Carl? Like, who's Carl? And I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> by the way, I would have let her come later on. Right, I would have right. just told the client. Known. I didn't yeah. know. And then she ended up being, like, super cool and walked her through the house. And But, like, that's how it is. I was, like, not sure if the girl was, like, a random fan or she ended up being Sharon's daughter who was very interested. They actually were going to buy it, but then someone else came that day and bought it. Oh, really? I mean, I can only imagine the stories that you must have dealing with this this type of clientele. So, the worst um, thing is when you're showing a house and like the celebrity bus drives up and they're like announcing the TMZ a, bus. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, ugh, like the client's like, damn, I'm, or whoever the buyers is, like, do I have to deal with this shit while I live here? So let's let's go back to sort of your trajectory and your experience. What what do you think so so far in your career? has been the biggest failure or mistake or sort of like a lesson learned moment for you? I think being too trusting, like I, I, there was one client I showed for a long time and then they bought a house through another agent. I think things like that where you could just never be too trusting. Like it's just a business of like whatever's best, you know, works. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some clients that are really honorable and really loyal. But I think there's many massive blows throughout it. And I think the reason you can earn a very high income is because it's not an easy business. And that's not actually a lot of the times what the general public thinks. Like they think it's like a very easy thing that anyone can do and we could be replaced by robots or whatever. But I think failure is actually really important for success. That's good. And what advice would you give your younger self today, even though you're you're only 34, Carl, but what would you give your younger 26-year-old self? To figure out a way to like elevate your thinking to the absolute highest level and to like write down what you want and read it out loud and obsess about it. And because I think my biggest thing and it continues is like with just getting out of limited thinking. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you believe you could sell, like even right now I have like whatever it is, 60, $70 million in escrow. It's like, maybe two years ago in my mind that was impossible yeah. so i think just elevating your thinking at the most rapid level possible that's great that's 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 healthy and profound and you also have a 60 million dollar listing right now right eva chow's house on mapleton 69 Six, 750. wow get it I mean, right <laughs> yeah sorry 750 don't that's like 69 750. that's amazing how's that house is it it's incredible. They built it over 10 years. They imported stone and door, like the doors, the ceilings from everywhere from all over the world. It's modeled off different museums. They're prolific art collectors. The whole house is set up to for the art to hang like a gallery. 
it's really unlike anything I've ever seen in in LA. You know, it's interesting. This just kind of reminds me of another sort of how this market representing this this clientele on these types of homes are so different because you have to create a story around these homes. They are so unique and they have such story elements. Like the, the fireplace was imported from, you know, one of a kind and from France and da da da, right? All these things. It's not just cookie cutter, you know, five bedroom, four bath, square feet, pool, entertainment, you know, this has a story. This porcelain floor in the dining room has a story, you know, right? Yeah, no, it, it, it actually, in a sense, makes it challenging because it becomes more specific and limits I mean. like, the amount of buyers. You have to, yeah, and you have to basically do a lot more sort of storytelling because it literally needs to be told. It, these are like one-of-a-kind artifacts or the way they built the house, and so it creates another whole layer of sort of complexity on how to bring it to market and 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 talk about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I. I I'm specifically excited about this house because it's just so unique. And like I said, it's unlike anything I've seen where it's not like one of these cookie cutter modern boxes in the hills that was just like the same generic way to sell it. And it's challenging, but exciting. So who buys that house? Like who's, give me a little buyer persona on that. I I think it really depends. It could be like a major art collector as well. It could be so far, we'd had, we've had a couple like great showings with people from Asia. We've had some tech people come. I think there's it's really just someone that really understands like the quality of it and taste. And I do think someone that's into art would work really well just because of the way the house is set up mm-hmm. and it's like ceiling height and how you can hang like a gallery. It's just incredible for art. Do these do these buyers on on these mega listings? Do they? often say hey i want to keep what's in the house too because it's done up so nicely like i've seen that pretty often actually yeah you think that happens more than half the time i would say 50 50 probably it's probably half the time because it makes sense right because if you have a huge huge mansion and it's vacant and bare yeah that's i mean it's extremely expensive to and it could be a year-long project to to get it figured out Right. Yeah, well, I'm selling a house now for 20 and it's a huge house. And basically they're removing all the staging and like the client's not going to move in for a couple of months till they can figure everything out, the furniture, getting it set up. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this whole, you know, reality TV, real estate, LA real estate sort of scene that's going on? I mean, it's. I did do one episode recently on a show with Alex Rodriguez on CNBC. But besides that, I haven't done anything with reality TV. That was more like a respected business network where we went on. Him and I were like training someone as a real estate advisor. I don't know. The whole like million dollar listing thing is just not my vibe. And I think that it's great for the agents that are on it. And I think they get a lot of business from it. It's and I respect them and do deals with a lot of them. And it's just, it's just not what I do. And I think a lot of the clients I work with wouldn't work with me if I yeah. were doing that. You know, I, I like to ask this question to, to people that are at your level in terms of who deal with this, who could be on that, that kind of a show. And because my perception is it has the potential to create a false narrative on, geez, look how easy this is. I just have to get my license and I can sell $10 million homes and like, like so easy. I just drive around in my rolls and, and 
you yeah. know? And I, it makes it look like deals are like happening nonstop and they're transactions that are just very quick and easy. I, I think a lot of it's scripted too and not real. Right. Right. I don't think you're alone in how you perceive that in the market. What do you think about this whole iBuyer? Are you, are you familiar with that term, iBuyer, and, and, and the whole sort of prop tech? Yes, 100%. I've read maybe 50 articles on it. I think that I understand what they're trying to achieve. I think if you read any of the interviews with a lot of the people that own the companies, they specifically say that they're not trying to weed out all real estate agents. I think there's a market they're trying to weed out. And I think in the ultra high end, just as stockbrokers, how people say stockbrokers became obsolete, there's still a niche ultra high end consultancy. Yeah. And I think that's the same for real estate. And I think that it might affect it in that way where maybe it drives down fees in the lower end or, or like eliminates a certain type of agent. But I think there'll always be a use for like an ultra high end niche consultancy. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it, I mean, it works. It works really well in, in markets like Phoenix right now. It's a perfect like test market, very homogenized track home. Where and it all comes down to the to the valuation algorithms, right? The more they can perfect the valuation and make that the very narrow, you know, error factor. Well, that's why it works in other industries. Like I just bought a car online, like things like that. But they're they're all the same, and you understand the value. And a home right. is very different. Very like different. a lot of it is an emotional purchase. Someone might pay fifty million for a house, and then the neighboring house sells for four million because it's a teardown. Like. The Zestimate, everyone, clients constantly bring that up to me. They'll be like, oh, my house, the Zestimate says this. But like the Playboy Mansion, was Zestimate was $2 million. It sold for $100 million. Like yeah. they don't know what's actually happening inside of the house. There, there's a lot of aspects to it where it's different than other businesses where it's eliminating everything else. And like, yeah, even though now you could do stock trades for seven bucks, they used to be a hundred grand that's different. It's a stock that's valued at a certain price that you're tracking. And yes, if it's all new construction or tracked houses or things like that, or condos, which is LA is not as much of a condo city. I mean, there are condos, but it's more homes. It's just a different market for that. Yeah, I agree. So let's get back to the, the, the agent and the competitive sort of profile. I mean, LA with all these high profile listings and brokerages, and these top producing agents, a super high concentration. Do you think the, competi the competition here is more intense than in like New York or other markets? You think this is like the most competitive market, LA? I think it's one of the most. I don't know. I think New York is extremely competitive and it's like harder to survive in New York. It's more expensive to live. Yeah. I think there's a very small amount of people, like the LA real estate business at the top is very small. And there's maybe 20, 30 people that are absolutely at the top of it that are excellent and sharks or whatever you want to call them. I think in New York, there's more of those. Mm -hmm. Like there's more competition of people that operate at an extremely high level. So Carl, I want to put you on the spot a little bit and create a fictitious competitive scenario. Let's say today you have a listing presentation for a $35 million estate in Bel Air. And prior to the meeting, the seller tells you that she has met with, and for fun, I'll use first names, and you'll know who these people are, Sally, Santiago, Valerie, Aaron, Drew, Joyce, David, Brandon, and Rainey. I could keep going, but you get my point. Why should they hire you? Because they'll actually get me and not an assistant, 
and I'll work seven days a week and not sleep until the house is sold. I don't think you need to go further. Well stated. You think that's common in this with these big teams that you, as you're referring to? Like if, if someone has a huge team of people, you think it's getting it gets harder to get to the actual superstar agent to, to get them personally involved? Yeah, they almost they only have a certain amount of time and capacity, and that's why they have huge teams. I mean, Stephen Shapiro, one of the owners of our agency, that's one thing he always says. It's like, tell clients if they're hiring us, they're actually getting you. And some of these mega agents have two billion in listing inventory. I mean, I couldn't imagine carrying that volume of listing inventory. Well, that's something as well. Like clients will say to me, they'll they'll say like, "Oh, this person has a hundred million dollars in listings." But like, is that good? Is it good that they have a bunch of listings that aren't selling? Like, why is that good? It's like I don't know. I kind of pride myself on like getting listings and selling them at like a high closing rate. I don't want like a million listings just sitting around. Yeah. So let's go back to this, the, the commission thing real quick. Cause I said one question I forgot to ask you is when he gets time on these big, big listings, these big multi, multi-million dollar listings to talk about the commission part, is that something that you gulp and you go, Oh gosh, here we go. We got to talk about Commission, like, is that a pain point or how do you? No, I think when I was like a younger salesman in, in any business, like I was afraid to talk about money. And I think it's more about like confidence and how you value your time. And now I just look at it as like a part of the business. And it's like, you know what your time is worth, just like a doctor or a lawyer. And I, I say that to people at times. I'm like, would you negotiate with them? Like, would you go to the dentist? Maybe some people negotiate the dentist. I do. <laughs> but I mean, like your doctor or whatever, it's like. It just goes with the stigma where people like think real estate agents make too much money and it's an easy job that anyone can do. And it's kind of just like eliminating that thought and like really valuing your time. That's great. Well said. So enough about real estate for a moment. Let's have some fun, shall we? Your son's, we talked about this, your son's godfather is Joe Jonas of the Jonas Brothers fame. And when and where did you meet Joe? How did that come about? You know, everyone asks me this and I get like furious and I tell him all the time and I'm like, everyone just like makes it like I'm successful because of you. <laughs> but he's really like my closest friend yeah. and I love him and that's why I asked him. <laughs> I met him years ago when I first moved to LA and he's just like the most humble, nicest, sweetest person and I wanted him to like be around my son and yeah. watch him grow up. That's cool. Sorry, I had to ask you that question. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> it was only the 843rd <laughs> time that you've been asked. So, and I have to apologize again, but any relation to the original godfather, Carlo Gambino? Not that I know of, and if so, like distant relation. And my name in Italian is Carlo Gambino, which is ridiculous. And I've been asked that a billion times as well. Like. I'll even go like in the airport and they'll be like, oh, are you related to the mafia? And like, you should play it up and say, yeah, yeah actually. I'm just like, it's ridiculous. Like if my name was Dahmer, would they be like, oh, are you Jeffrey Dahmer's son? Oh, right. It's just like, well, it's just, it's an interesting, your real name's Carlo and Gambino is obviously the godfather, right? I mean, it's, it's, so it's a natural. No, I get it. I get yeah. why it happens. <laughs> And it's, it's funny how I, I studied organized crime in college. It was my favorite class. They had like the history of organized crime in America. It was like the most fascinating class I took in college. Oh, yeah, I've read like tons of books on it. It is really fascinating. It's totally. It's like the, the entrepreneurial 
spirit and how like this whole country was like not the whole country but like a portion of it was built and especially with all through the, all these ethnicities that immigrated from Europe and the Italians and the Irish and like prohibition and it's so it's amazing sort of how that all developed I, I know it's so interesting I often think like in a funny way how it would work if in real estate if that's how it was now like you just walk into someone's listing and be like now this is my listing <laughs> <laughs> right or you have to pay me to list your home on this block. Don't you know that? You can't sell a home in this neighborhood without paying me. That's That could be your new thing, you know? Yeah, like, I'd have the name and everything. You totally, you could play it up. Just show you know? up at people's open houses and be like, yeah. this is mine now. Yeah, you gotta get an office like with a desk at the very back of the, you know, and you'll, you take appointments. I need you to do me a favor. Where the neighborhood and my family's from, it's just like something that existed and it's kind of wild that it did and like they, what they ran and like how violent it was and and now it's like pretty much almost non-existent yeah well it's now it's it's just changed colors right so like organized crime still is absolutely around on wall street you know and pharmaceutical like it's just different yeah, it's, it's just people like are breaking the law and they're doing different crap it's just it's not the old school like you know break break some legs and you know torch the place so what do you do for fun besides sell $60 million homes? I think I need to like have more fun, actually. I, I think I like just work and barely have any hobbies. I mean, I sometimes go to shows a lot of the times for my clients. I, I really enjoy that. Spending time with my son. Mm-hmm. And are, do you live in Beverly Hills? No, I bought a house in Studio City. Okay. Studio City. And so what's a typical day like for you? Like today, you're doing a podcast. Like, what, Do you have any showings later? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it varies per day. That's part of what I like about real estate. It's like sometimes you like can't breathe. You're so busy and which is most of the time now, but like, I like that it changes per day. I have a bunch of showings this afternoon. Every day is different, really. Like sometimes the one thing that's consistent is like the second I touch my phone, I'm just like nonstop working. Mm -hmm. So you've already answered my my next question, do you travel a lot? The answer is not really, right? Because well, no, actually, that to tell you the truth, that's like the one thing I force myself to do because I, I love traveling Where'd and it's go? the reason I work so hard. I mean, I go to New York a lot for work, but I travel. I like every year, like to take like 15 to 16 days and go to at like a time where like it kind of slows down and go to Italy or Spain or my family's obviously from Italy. I love Italy. I love Europe. This year we went to France and Italy. I want to go to Italy so bad. I'm Canadian. I was born in Toronto. My parents moved here when I was about two and a half. So I was I'm basically raised Southern California. I'd never been to Europe. Oh, wow. I want to go. And my dad has Scottish roots as well. And they, they've been to Scotland a million times. And I'm like, God, I, I want to get, get out of here and go see the world. But I'm, you know. I love it so much. I can't explain it when I get there. It's like, I feel like... It's where I'm supposed to be. It's weird. I went to Puglia, this like part of Italy, like the southern tip this summer, or two summers in a row. And I, and I love it there. It's just beautiful and the food is incredible. That's interesting you say that because I think I feel the same when I'm in Canada, especially like British Columbia. We, we travel there a lot, Vancouver Island. And it must be in our DNA, like our, you're Italian. You know, when you're, when you're back, quote unquote, home, you, you sense it. You know, like that's your DNA is from there. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's some I, weird... The first time I went to Italy, I went to Rome, and I remember like stepping off the plane and immediately feeling that. Yeah, I feel the same when I'm in, in Canada. It's like this weird sense of uh, belonging or just like, I don't know, it's just weird. 
actually there's a huge amount of Canadians moving here like I have a big Canadian clientele especially from Toronto yeah the one thing we didn't talk about that I wanted to tell you is I think the San Fernando Valley is on fire and not in like negative terms like I think it's it's a great investment and be specific where where in Santa from Encino to Studio City even North Hollywood I just really believe in it like I'm selling a house off market now in Encino for 20 which is the highest sale in the history I'm selling a second one for 14.1 which is I guess also the highest in history well you know it's interesting you say that because Encino used to be the spot I know like back in the day I mean way back and there I mean Michael Jackson his parents lived in Encino like back over there and I remember because I grew up in Westlake Village we used to drive because they had better restaurants like in down in the valley and we would for fun we'd tour some of those streets to see those mega you know back then in the 70s mega mansions oh michael jackson's you know yeah now all of a sudden i'm getting a lot of clients that were were beverly hills buyers that are like why not drive 20 minutes get double the land and mm-hmm. house size and have privacy a ton of restaurants are opening there they're opening air one on in the Sportsman Lodge and Equinox in Studio City slash like the border of Sherman Oaks. I just really believe in it. I bought a house there. That's cool. That's good. There's your market tidbit for the day. You get way more for your money and it's not that far away. Well, I think that it's interesting you say that because like we, I live in Redondo Beach. Our office Tiggs is in, in Hermosa Beach, South Bay. And you get a lot of this like, okay, everything's priced out. Everything's done. Like Manhattan Beach, game over, it's over. So where's it going next? Like, and it kind of like, it's either going a little bit north. So like Redondo is having this whole, even North Redondo is having a renaissance. Inglewood with the whole stadium. Yeah. Like, is it like El Segundo is well, crazy up. By huge. the way, people ask me why I'm in LA as opposed to New York. And I met with this like very big art dealer that was huge in New York recently. And I asked him that question. And he was like, the same reason you're here. He's like, because it's where everything's happening. He's like, yeah. it used, and then... I started to think about it and it's true like when i first moved here it was like basically just entertainment now it's tech now it's like every yeah, industry Silicon you could possibly Beach, think of and tech, hollywood the restaurant business is exploding and hospitality and i just think it's a great place to invest and i i don't know i just really believe in the valley and hear the buzz and feel it yeah i agree and i think it's like la's always been sort of the place but I think now it's it's the play. It's like internationally, yeah. it's the. It was never on the same level in my eyes as New York before, and now it is. Yeah, New York and like the Hamptons and that whole that whole vibe. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. So let's talk about the industry real quick or the market. Like, how do you how has the market been this year? Are we still are I mean, we still flying? Yeah, it's been one of the best years I've ever had. What I am noticing though is it's like a strange marketplace where if something's like really well done, it flies off the shelf in multiples. And then if it's like mediocre or not unique in the, in the sense of it being like high quality, it could sit. So there's like this major disconnect in like where buyers and sellers are in the market because they're still seeing big deals happening immediately in multiples, but that's for a specific mm-hmm. product. So like the sellers think it's a seller's market and the buyers think it's a buyer's market and it's causing like a middle inventory to just sit. Yeah. Real estate cyclical, right? Every ten years ish. They say seven, but now they're expanding into well, ten. Right. Well, say seven to ten was the <laughs> was the safe hundreds. You know, everyone um, asks you that question if if you think the market's going to crash, and I really don't know. I mean, yeah. usually we follow New York. New York has been slower, but then again, I'm having buyers buying up New York because they're like, it's great to buy. I hope no matter what. Like I always have clients wanting to buy and sell, just because. First of all. 
a lot of entertainment-based clients have to move anyway. And then when the market drops, then there's opportunity. There's been some crazy spec development, right? There's one, what, they're talking about bringing out for $500 million. It's ridiculous. But I think... That, but is that just all PR and BS? Or? I mean, I think he would probably take 150 or $200 million for that. But I think there's an overabundance of inventory of a certain type of spec build. Like those modern boxes. Or like $30 like, million. Dollar, like, yeah. Like yeah. if you look in the 15 to $25 million market in the hills of Beverly Hills and Hollywood Hills, like almost every house looks the same. Yeah. Well, it's because the developers are making $15 million bucks a pop. Buying the land for eleven, whatever they were, you know. And well, now I'm saying there's a turn, and they're actually sitting. And then, like I showed someone yesterday, we went from like three to five thirty, and we looked from like ten to twenty five million. And like I said, every single one of those houses look exactly the same mm-hmm. to the point where the clients are almost like, should I just buy a fixer and do it myself so I have something that's different? Yeah. Are you seeing international? buying and buyers is it still strong or is that starting to and the is a two-part question is it still strong and are they the sort of the precursor of things to come if they slow does that mean uh uh-oh here comes the slow or i think there's always been i mean there's definitely international buying in los angeles but i think there's been some sort of like misconception that they drive the los angeles real estate market and i don't think it's true i think a huge portion of the major sales in Los Angeles are Americans. And I've seen a slowdown in it, especially from Chinese buyers, because it's been hard to move money out of China. But I don't think one way or another international buying like dictates where the market goes. Okay. Let's talk about marketing, something that I love and I'm serious about. Our company digs. We produce magazines, of course, and podcasts, but we're really... You know, our DNA is we're, we're marketing and we're marketing specific to this niche of, of real estate. And I, I find it fascinating with all just the prop tech and everything. Like I've always envisioned myself and what I do being you and being like, how can I make Carl and how can I make whoever relevant and growing and a better marketing person? What's your take on on marketing for agents like another quick thing is like I'm big on branding especially in this content bubble that we're living in you know and we've, we've commoditized everything so branding I think even though it's old school is kind of like new school it's harder to brand now and build brand but it's all about you know trust what, what are your thoughts on I think I'm probably the worst person to ask this question to so my wife <laughs> owns an experiential marketing agency okay. and she constantly is like you do no marketing or Advertising, like obviously we market the listings, but for my own personal branding and like my whole business has basically been like word of mouth and just me out meeting people. Yeah. And that's marketing though. Yeah. I I just mean like I'm not one to really, I just have like an old school approach that's not Compass's way or things like that. Well, since you brought up Compass, I meant to ask you about Compass. So... I mean, they're sort of all the rage and all the, they have huge investment with SoftBank. They're acquiring companies. They're hiring top agents. What, what are your thoughts on, on so like, you know, do you see 
Where do you see them in five years? I'm just, re- you know, I'm really unsure with the whole WeWork thing. I mean, I definitely respect them and the business they're building. And I remember when I first started in residential leasing in New York, they were called the Urban Compass. And they were like these kids with iPads and book bags that were like trying to break into this market that we were like hustling and they didn't succeed actually. And then they switched to sales. I mean, I really don't know. I don't know where they're going to be in five years. I think they could be the biggest agency in the world or be gone. So it's like a, a real, like, I don't actually know. And how important do you think, I'm always interested too, like big agents like yourself, how important is it for sellers, which broker you have behind you, or is it all about the agent? Like, is it? I think it's a lot about the agent. I mean, I think if like this brand, for instance, like West Side Estate Agency is known for like ultra high end sales and luxury. I think that helps in a sense, but like there also are agents at Keller Williams that do tons and tons of business. I think it's the most important thing is about like the actual agent itself. Like a lot of my clients don't even know where I work actually. Yeah. No, nor do they necessarily care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But like old school LA people know. Mm. All right. Some closing thoughts. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be, Carl? To read the future. <laughs> to, know <laughs> what, to know the future. To know the future. All right. I like it. What could you tell our audience that they would be super surprised to hear about you or know about you? I don't know. That I could sing. (laughs) Why don't you sing for us? No. (laughs) It's actually funny. Like sometimes I'll go to karaoke with clients and people be like, what the fuck? Is this your realtor? Yeah. (laughs) Why is Carl up on the stage rocking that Alice in Chains tune? What about favorite movie of all time? It's it's The Godfather, of course, right? <laughs> I love I love that French movie, The Untouchables. I think it's amazing. It's a true story. It's cool. One of my favorite films. What about architectural style? You have one favorite? I like really well done, authentic Spanish. Like really beautiful, authentic Spanish. And you don't see that much anymore. No, I love that too. Like colonial, like just yeah, yeah, done. like. Clifford May, like yeah, homes oh like yeah, that, oh yeah. but I don't know. I, I have appreciation for a lot of, a lot of architecture, but I really like very well done authentic Spanish. Very cool. Awesome. Do you have any other closing thoughts you want to tell our audience or? No, I guess I, I would just say that anyone that wants to get into the business and like that really has a passion for real estate that I think it's possible for anyone to get to like the, a high level it's just like about how you think and belief in your ability and i feel like there's a lot of people i meet that like i would even consider hiring but then they're like you know like i can never meet those type of clients or do those type of deals or like i'll never be curd or someone like that and i just think it's a shame because if you put those limiting factors on you then you've you've just done yourself in exactly you, you can never stretch or be beyond yeah I agree. I think your mind, and this is a cliche, is your most powerful thing, but it's like there is something just of throwing fear aside and just doing it, aiming high and just going like, why not? Why can't it be you? Why? There's no reason. Yeah, I completely agree. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I think uh, this has been enlightening and it was great to hear your story a bit and shed light on the on the LA you know real estate scene. And so it should be I think the next two or three years is going to be a, a, a really interesting ride for LA real estate, for real estate period, but to see how we, with the whole geopolitical and we got elections, we got we got the cycle, it's going to be an interesting time. So with that, 
we will say goodbye and thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.